welcome to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. This week, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship and education. I'm joined by a guest uh, from a business called The Learning Company. Hitesh, go ahead and introduce yourself, please, to our audience. Hi, Brett. Uh, pleasure to be here. My name's Hitesh Nathani. I am the Manager of Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the Alamo Colleges, and I am the Chief Innovator at The Learning Company. And so how are those two things tied together? The Learning Company is a kind of public-private partnership. Technically, we're a part of the Alamo Colleges, but we have strong input from business leaders across San Antonio. And our mission is to educate two-year college students in entrepreneurship and innovation and hopefully help them start their own businesses. Yeah, so if you're going and attending one of the Alamo area colleges, you can take this entrepreneurship curriculum there? Yes, sir, and it's free. It's free. So these are free entrepreneurship curriculum. We like free curriculum. That's wonderful stuff. Um, We always say that we want to democratize entrepreneurship. So it's free, and it's not for credit. So all we're really trying to do is give the students the skills, and then hopefully they take those skills and make something with it. Yeah, oh, that's uh, great stuff. For those that are listening here outside the San Antonio area, uh, can you give a little bit of background on the Alamera Colleges uh, and uh, what they are and, and how they participate in the education ecosystem here in San Antonio? Sure. So the Alamo Colleges are five colleges that have kind of banded together in a, you know, a loose district. And the goal of the district and community colleges as a whole is to promote education and training Uh, through programs and services that kind of help our students move forward. Um, Enrollment-wise, across all the campuses, do you have a rough number? Is it 10,000, 50,000? Closer to 50. I think it's actually over 50,000. Yeah, so the good-sized programs across here um, and across all, all of the different campuses. Yeah, and each of the campuses, I think, is really unique. It has its own vibe, its own feel as part of the community. I mean, St. Philip's College, for example, is the only HBCU and HSI two-year college in the nation, and it's been around since the 1890s. So what do those two acronyms stand for? HBCU is a historically black college or university, and HSI is a Hispanic-serving institution. Yeah, and this is uh, speaks to the diversity here in San Antonio and the longstanding historic diversity as we're sneaking up on our 300th birthday as a city. So if, if for those in San Antonio, I think you've heard about this tricentennial by now. For those uh, listening outside of San Antonio and even on a WAI as we're uh, on the air late, uh, you could be in any one of probably 30 states in the middle of the U.S. Uh, hearing this program on the AM radio dial. So with that, San Antonio was actually founded as a city uh, prior to America being founded as a country. Uh, it's amusing as you'll ask folks uh, here if the, where they're from, and they'll say they're from San Antonio, or they're from Texas. Well, where's your family from? And they'll say, we're from Texas or we're from San Antonio because they've been here longer than America. They didn't move here from anywhere else. They were kind of here and and the world's changed around them. So talking through uh, with this learning company, so how did you you get a university system or college system to offer curriculum for free? Because I mean, their business model is to get students to pay for classes. That's how they stay open. So uh, what was the incentive uh, behind the colleges to get this learning company up and running to teach entrepreneurship? So I think uh, a lot of this came about through one of the big problems that we've noticed in San Antonio, which is economic disparity. And I'm sure you've talked to uh, our colleagues out at Folo Media 
Um, San Antonio is number one in the nation for economic disparity, the biggest gap between the haves and have-nots. And what we've realized in the city as a whole and, and even the nation is that entrepreneurism is the way to combat that. So the colleges, and this was actually before I came on board, decided to partner up with UT Austin and the IC Squared program there. That's a nationally recognized uh, program kind of sponsored by the NSF to promote entrepreneurism at the four-year level. And what they wanted to do is take that same kind of content and move it to the two-year level to give our students access to this content and this training. So and the learning company has been up and going now for how many years? So we launched our first cohort this January, um, but I think planning phase has been about a couple of years. A couple of years. That. So this is the, the first year you have students running through the curriculum. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so uh, on this, and you said launched in January, so we're um, on the air here in November. If I'm a student at one of the Alamo colleges and I wanted to apply for next year's cohorts, how do I go about doing that? So you can uh, go to our website. It's www.alamo.edu backslash the learning company. And we've got a uh, interest form on the website, but we're also attending all of the campuses. We're doing a lot of in-person, going to the classrooms, talking to students. Yeah, so if you see the, the learning company logo's a lantern of some magic sort, it's got a floating flame in the middle. So uh, out on campus, if you see that around, you see somebody with that sticker on their laptop, uh, go ahead and talk to them about it. But you can also find them on the, the website there. So you've had this initial cohort up and going. And so how are these folks doing so far in the program? So we're actually in our second cohort. Our first cohort launched in January. And our second cohort launched in August. Oh, so this is semester-long activities. Yes, sir. Okay, awesome. So our first cohort, we've had some some really good success. Um, one of the, and I can't give out too many details because of NDAs, but one of the companies is is targeting education of anatomy and physiology in a really unique way. And they plan to be in the app store by the end of this year. That's uh, exciting stuff. So you got you have students combining um, technology with their education in another discipline to go ahead and go get a business started. Because I think as you see, businesses these days, um, all of them have a technology component to them, um, almost everyone anyways. And uh, with that, it's good to see folks coming through your program, taking their domain-specific expertise and tying that with technology and turning it into um, something they can get up and get launched. Yeah, we're really excited, and we've noticed that the ease of availability of technology and the ease of putting something into the App Store has really kind of generated a lot of growth in that field. So we've got seven teams in this current cohort, and I think three of the seven are apps, and two more are using technology to leverage their processes. Yeah. So if I, I go and I get accepted into this program, then how do you help these students and what is the curriculum covers you're working through the programs with them? So our curriculum uh, covers pretty much everything you need to start a business. We start with ideation training, specifically from the Stanford D School. Then we go into human-centered design. We talk about value proposition, business model canvas, do some financials, and then we have some guest speakers on customer segmentation and marketing. So we basically want to give you kind of a rough start through of everything you'd need to launch a business. Those are a, a number of really exciting topics for me as a business owner myself. 
Uh, we may deep dive into some of those uh, after the break and maybe pick one or two of them. We'll see uh, where this program heads as we continue to have a conversation here on CyberTalk Radio about entrepreneurship and education here in San Antonio. But this really can apply to everyone uh, listening out there across our audience. And if uh, you're not here in this area, you could move here and take advantage of these programs. Or uh, the other option is uh, you could push uh, your college or universities uh, to start thinking about entrepreneurship as well, because business formation is down uh, all across America. And we see this here in San Antonio area, statistic wise, uh, that many of the folks that retire from active duty, the military want to start their own company, um, but that does not end up happening um, at a much lower business formation rate. Uh, there than uh, folks aspire and dream to. And this is, I think, e- even across uh, not just folks coming out of uh, active duty to the private sector, but um, just business formation in general. We see all these things on TV. Uh, we see, the what is that HBO program? Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley, yeah. You see all of these things, the, the social network movie, and it seems like entrepreneurship is... Uh, at a, the highest level it has been in history, but it's actually at the lowest level it's been in history. It's just, I think now it gets more media coverage, um, some of the success or people are talking about Elon Musk and Tesla and Solar City and all the companies that he's got up and going. Um, but the the number of companies that are, are starting these days is lower now than, than it ever has been across the, the country from a percentage-wise basis, which is uh, something that the, your program, I hope, can help us combat. Uh, and that's why I think it's good to get here and talk about it, um, whether it ends up being the cybersecurity students uh, out of uh, St. Philip's College uh, that are starting a cyber company or folks starting something in the, the health or other related fields. This is all important. If you did want to learn a little bit about uh, one of those Alamo colleges is St. Philip's, and they've got a cybersecurity program um, on uh, our 49th episode. We had uh, folks on from St. Philip's uh, talking in detail about some of the cyber programs there. Um, you can listen to that on our rebroadcast via iTunes on an Apple device, uh, via Pocket Cast, your favorite podcasting app on an Android device, as well as our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Or if you're uh, like my teenagers, even if it's uh, audio, you're still going to watch it on YouTube, and you can do that on our YouTube channel. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can find us, uh, CyberTalk Radio, in either of those places to keep up with uh, the latest and greatest in what's going on. I'm joined this week by Tish Nathani. We're talking entrepreneurship program in the learning company for Alamo Area College students. If you uh, just turned your radio dial to us now, uh, you can listen to uh, this episode in its entirety um, on Tuesday following our Saturday night broadcast here. And that's the way uh, we air uh, all of our content online after uh, the radio. So this will keep going because the conversation we're having is pretty timeless. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, hopefully this learning company program continues to grow uh, and you're taking on cohorts of students uh, every semester from now. Um, through the the end of time there at Alamo College so that we can uh, create more entrepreneurs in San Antonio. Uh, We can have more uh, business ownership here um, because I think that not only transforms those individual lives, but uh, that at scale can transform cities and communities. And I agree, Brad. I think um, entrepreneurism is, is the core of how you revitalize it in community. When people are out forming their own businesses, they hire their friends, they hire their associates. It just leads to kind of cyclical growth. While you're at Alamo Colleges now with the Learning Company, as this uh, goes along, do you want to branch out from there and, and work with others as well? So a uh, long-term goal personally is I would love to get this content out to everybody. I think um, we're adapting content that was really made primarily for graduate school students and for upper-level um, college seniors, and we're trying to put it into a 
a format where anyone can access it. So, I mean, who knows, depending on how we move forward, but our goal um, for next year is to actually make many learning companies at each of the five campuses where we can train current faculty to kind of facilitate and expand this. So uh, as you were talking about taking this uh, graduate level uh, entrepreneurship content down to uh, college freshmen and college sophomores effectively, um, so there's another uh, group here in San Antonio uh, working on um, middle school and and up into high school entrepreneurship education called Venture Lab. Have you talked or worked with them at all as well? Yes, yeah. Uh, Christelle Glengshai is amazing. Um, She, I think, is the the CEO of uh, Venture Lab. She's also working at Blackstone and IC Squared, who we partner with. So we've got a pretty strong relationship to them. Um, I think that the content that we're offering is more targeted towards actually building the business out as opposed to their content is a little bit more theoretical. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, our approach is to get two-year college students that don't have a background in business or entrepreneurship. And that's the real difference because we're taking students that are welders or students that are culinary artists or students that are cosmetologists who haven't had any business training and trying to compress all of that and give them a way to start their businesses. Yeah. Now, and that's excellent stuff because as you you get out there and you realize that you um, have a skill that customers want to pay you money for it, there's a whole bunch more to running and owning a business than just actually being able to deliver the product to a customer. Uh, and all of those things uh, require training uh, in order to go out there and do that and be successful. And for folks not enrolled in school, there's uh, some options here. The city and county um, sponsor together along with Lyft fund a program called Launch SA. So there's certain options for some folks here, but not necessarily at the full curriculum level. I know uh, the launch programs don't go through all of the uh, cornerstone key pieces of entrepreneurship that uh, we see uh, that we were talking about here in in the learning company's curriculum. Well, and I mean, I'm a strong advocate of Launch SA. Uh, I'm a Launch SA graduate, so I uh, I'm very familiar with their programs and what they offer. Um, we're just offering something a little different, maybe a little bit more robust. I feel like the ecosystem in San Antonio is so broad, and we've got so many people trying to solve this problem that as long as each of us kind of slice it a different way, we can really bring some impact to the community. Yeah. So for the the students uh, in the Alamo colleges, uh, how do you go about uh, selecting the cohorts? How do they they go about uh, getting involved? So uh, a lot of it is self-selection. We really feel that students that want to do this will find us. Um, You know, I can give you some anecdotal stuff. Uh, uh, Once I gave a presentation at one of the campuses and one of the students ran out behind my car and stopped me from leaving to ask for my card because they were so interested in it. Yeah, There's a lot of self-selection, but then once you come through the beginning of the program, we're going to lose people because it's fairly challenging. Yeah. No, I mean, and that was uh, one I saw. So I, I have a younger student who went through the middle school level entrepreneurship program and uh, it was it was pretty challenging for for them they ran them through a whole business idea formation uh, across the year and they had to do product they had to do market research they had to go figure out pricing and a lot of these concepts at a theoretical level because uh, seventh graders aren't going to go start their own company yet 
well, most of them aren't anyways. Um, some of them might. Uh, and and with this, uh, they even trying to get it down to that level was extremely difficult. Uh, and you, you see even, um, and this I think is why business formation maybe is, is so low, uh, is that these concepts are, are hard at the college level and they're hard, frankly, even for experienced industry professionals uh, because everyone learns these days um, deep knowledge into an individual skill um, in a craft or a trade or uh, a technology domain, but you don't necessarily learn um, all of the other aspects to, to get up and, and running as a company. Well, and I think they all change too, right? We're in such a rapidly evolving marketplace um, I mean, marketing in the last five years has completely been flipped on its head. So um, it's really hard for just regular students to keep up with all of these changes and, and still stay grounded. Yeah, well, and especially learn in your own domain area because if you're not a marketing major, you're not keeping up with the latest marketing trends. Um, and it, if you are a marketing major, you could go start a marketing firm um, and you're going to understand all that real well, but you're not necessarily going to understand uh, the cybersecurity aspect to keep your website safe as a marketer, or if you're a cybersecurity person, though you're not learning any of the marketing trends, or if you're a, um, in a health science career, you're not learning marketing or cybersecurity. And uh, all of these things are required really to go get a business going. But then there's all of just the finance and accounting and the business model and the, the product market fit uh, analysis that you need to go through um, across uh, all of these different areas. So one of the things I like about our program is that what we do is we pay our students and faculty together to form these teams, to build these companies, and we try to pair students with very broad or different skill sets. And um, I think that gives you the ability to kind of hopefully stay abreast if you've got a kid that is a marketing major, a student that's an accounting major, and then a student that's at the, the, uh, the core business function that helps. So you're pairing students together to almost help them find co-founders in a way. Yeah, similar to like kind of like the three day startup model, um, we're trying to help them kind of uh, get a get a runway, get some some impetus behind their their business formation, and it's it's a little challenging, especially pairing students together. And we've got a, a pretty sophisticated match process, but even then, I would say that's the, probably the biggest struggle we're having right now. Yeah, and then complicated with the the way that Alamo colleges, you have folks that are straight out of high school attending. You have folks that are working in one job, looking to take education courses to get into a different job or different career or um, to move up in the company that they're already working at. And then students live all over Bear County, but even potentially outside of Bear County. Uh, there's students coming from all over to attend these campuses. And then um, even classes are available online, I think, now uh, for folks uh, anywhere as long as they live in the state of Texas. Yes, sir, I believe that's the case. Yeah, so. Um, and it's a bit of a challenge, especially in terms of finding a location for everyone to meet. Um, and our youngest student is 18. Our oldest student is 67. And that just gives you kind of a, and that's just for my program. That's not the colleges. Yeah. I remember when I was faculty a few years ago, I had a, a, a young lady that was in her early 70s coming back to get that associates. Yeah. Well, and you also have some high school students I know coming up and taking classes at San Antonio College and some of the other areas now as well. Yeah. We've got some stall, strong dual credit programs. I think at San Antonio College, Palo Alto has one and uh, St. Phillips for sure. We talked a little bit about Launch SA, but and so is studying entrepreneurship and teaching it and uh, working to develop these programs, how do you see the overall ecosystem in San Antonio evolving around this? 
So I have been surprised by how robust the ecosystem here is in San Antonio. Um, we've got a, quite a few amazing programs. I've had, like I said, great experiences with Launch SA. I was a graduate of their first BFL program, which is a break fast and launch. Um, the SBDC is doing really amazing things. I've really had some good experiences with, uh, especially Crystal Darby out at SBDC. She's been really helpful. So what does SBDC stand for? Uh, that's the Small Business Development Center. It's located on UTSA's downtown campus. Okay. And uh, it's a federal program basically to help small businesses grow. And they're, yeah. they're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Open to UTSA students, but not students as well. You're not a student requirement. Everybody. Everybody. It just happens to be hanging out on the campus. And I think that's a, a a rumor and a myth that, yeah, you have to be a student to go on campus there to it. And that's not the case. They're, if you're starting a small business, that's a, another great resource you can go to to get some help. The UTSA site program, which is their Center for Innovation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship, uh, also host a pretty amazing program. And I love the work that they're doing specifically in biotechnology commercialization. Trinity is doing some really unique things. I I really do believe that they're on par with some of the leading programs in the nation at that size. But we're all working at different angles. There's no silver bullet to solve any of the problems we have. Um, I mean, we've got Geekdom nurturing the tech space, EduHub, which is actually a partnership with, um, uh, I believe, VentureLab you mentioned earlier. They are helping education and tech. We've got the Impact Guild that's launching social innovation. So the San Antonio's got a pretty robust uh, system in place. I think there's even a couple of maker spaces in town. Yeah, no, and the, there was a, a three-day startup-style social innovation challenge weekend here recently, I think, in town as well, uh, where people came up with social business ideas. Yeah, and then we also uh, co-hosted a four, five-week a five-week uh, social innovation lab with Launch SA, St. Mary's, Trinity, and um, UTSA. Yeah, well, I, th I think I was judging in a competition at the, the end of that one. Yeah, I think you did, actually. I don't remember who won. Do you remember who won that program? Uh, I don't think we announced a winner. I think they were all winners, they right? They were all winners. That's the way this works. So we're going to uh, take a quick break uh, for... A news traffic and weather update here at the uh, bottom of the hour and then we will uh, come back and talk about uh, some of the uh, different uh, businesses that folks have started in the program um, and again give you some information on where and how you can go uh, access the learning company and uh, I think all you got to do is just enroll in one class at uh, the Alamo Area Colleges and then boom all the rest of this entrepreneurship curriculum is available to you. Yes sir that's the case. Electronic files and digital data are the lifeblood of many businesses. With ransomware, malware, and global networks of criminal hackers who can attack and destroy from anywhere in the world, these files and data are now under constant threat. Here are three tips on how businesses can protect their data. 1. Begin with an encrypted off-site data backup. 2. 
establish an active network defense against criminal hackers. Three, secure your data when it travels outside of your office. All three steps are required to build an active security shield as sophisticated and multi-layered as the threat themselves. Learn more on cybertalkradio.com. Brought to you by Jungle Disk. Safe from accidents, safe from attacks, only with Jungle Disk, the number one data security suite for Main Street. Jungle Disk provides network security and backup solutions to shield your critical business data from system failure, human error, and cyber attacks. Reach out to learn more at jungledisk.com and let us know you heard about Jungle Disk on iHeartRadio. Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Um, joined this week by Tish Nathani, and we're talking about the Learning Company, which is entrepreneurship curriculum available to all the students of the Alamo Area Colleges here in San Antonio. Uh, so if you're taking a, a cyber program out there at St. Phillips um, that nationally recognized via the DHS and NSA, they've got a great program going over there. If you're taking that and you wanted to uh, go build a cybersecurity business and found uh, another cybersecurity company here in the San Antonio area. We've got a, a hundred of them, but you could be the next one. You could learn how to do that in his program. Um, it's available. Uh, we've got a, a couple of different cohorts that happen each year. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and, and some of the uh, individual uh, businesses that went through these first two cohorts here in year one. But coming into that spring uh, semester, starting in January, you could be in the next cohort. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes. we'll be starting uh, late January, early February, and we'll have multiple um, smaller cohorts at campuses as well as our large program. Yeah, so you're going to attempt to decentralize and scale this next one, it sounds like. That's the plan. We yeah. really want to put the ownership back into the hands of the colleges, and I think that it's important that it stays there. Yeah. So we're just we pilot tested it at a broad district level, and now we want each campus to kind of take it and integrate into their communities. Yeah, I like this. This is entrepreneurship in education, teaching entrepreneurship to students on how to go start things outside of that because you're really running this learning company like a startup. You started off in this innovation phase with one cohort, and you're kind of running it centrally, figuring out how it all works, but you're going to move into the next phase of a business where, as I think about them, I think there's three core areas that anything goes through. You go through the innovate phase where you've got to figure out that product market fit, then you go through the scale phase of like, how do you take that product and get it out to as many people as possible? Um, at this point, you're not super worried about efficiency. You're worried about just how many people can you serve. Um, and then you get to the optimized phase is after you've kind of reached your, your peak scale size, then you start to figure out where can we um, make this easier for everybody um, and make it more efficient along the way. So that's uh, exciting stuff to see you going from one year through Innovate into scale really into year two, which is um, much faster than it happens in many businesses. Well, I think we have a little bit of an advantage because we are working with kind of some of the top industry leaders. So we've got pretty strong relationships with uh, Stanford's Design School, uh, the UT Austin IC Squared Institute, and uh, even UTSA site program here. And by nurturing these relationships, we're really trying to see our market fit. And that actually happened pretty quickly. 
So currently our program can, can maximize at about 60 students. Hopefully in the spring with our scale up, we'll be able to hit 500. Yeah, that's exciting stuff and a, a great step in addressing the entrepreneurship gap uh, here in San Antonio. And then I, ideally, as you said, you're working with folks um, inside and outside of this area uh, that are trying to help us solve this nationwide. So good news. So in the, the program, uh, you had some students go through this first year, and I'm looking at a list of different things here, and, and you could pretty much pick any industry, and this is just shows the breadth of the Alamo Area Colleges and all of the, the different uh, career and education tracks you can go down uh, while attending school there. Um, so I see one here um, it, about powder coating. So being an old, uh, I used to work on cars back in the day, and uh, powder coating was important for us. There's been some revolutions in powder coating in the last two or three years that maybe uh, not all of us are aware of. It's uh, become much more efficient. It's uh, a lot better for the environment than it was. And there's a lot of new kind of industry tricks that kind of make it more affordable. So uh, this young man is actually taking powder coating and trying to build it out to his first phase is decorating um, firearms. I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with powder coating, but it's basically how you get the, the nice logos on your cups and, and stuff like that. Uh, the new model will allow you to basically do a whole car powder coated at almost a third of the cost that it's being done now. So that's like the Batmobile, basically. Pretty much. And the idea is um, this young man's trying to build his way up. Uh, purchase equipment, and then eventually be able to do whole cars. Yeah, and much more durable than standard paint as well, which is like why we used to powder coat certain things and working on race cars. Uh, it's good for heat dissipation, good for all sorts of, of interesting things. But I, So uh, how did uh, he decide to get involved in um, enrolling with the learning company and then go through the program there? And how, uh, as you worked with him, what sort of uh, aspects of that education curriculum applied to this scenario? So uh, this young man is kind of a unique case. He was uh, selected to be part of our first cohort, and he was actually a team member on another team. Um, he was selected to be part of the accounting consulting firm, and he spent his time in there, got really interested in it, and he said, man, I want to do something of my own. So he signed up to be a team lead for our second cohort. And this idea of powder coating he brought to me and he said, look, this is a really interesting technology. It's not being used here in this region. I think it's a niche market that I can fit. And so a lot of what we've been doing is helping him narrow his focus because he tried to go after everybody in the free world. And so we said, all right, let's narrow our, our focus into something we make super profitable and use that to launch your second phase. And we narrowed it down to uh, firearms and primarily targeted at veterans because um, I don't know if you're a firearm owner or uh, you know any ex-veterans, but they really like their guns, and they also like to customize those guns, and powder coating is the safest way to do that. Yeah, so that's a, a definitely a, a good, interesting market uh, here to serve in San Antonio um, and in just the general Texas area, uh, and if there's not somebody doing that, uh, then good spot to go. This is a one, so as you said, capital required to go build and buy equipment and all of these things. Um, I think many folks are afraid to start businesses because they believe that they see these things where you've got to go raise million dollars from a venture capitalist or if somebody else has to give you money to get something going. Uh, is that really the case or can you figure out how to start businesses without going and putting some investor pitch deck together? 
I always think you can start without these huge cash influxes. And I know that seems really cool because we're watching Silicon Valley and we, we watch Shark Tank and we think, oh man, that's how they start these businesses. Most businesses start in somebody's backyard, in their garage, uh, with very little capital. So I wouldn't have capital be the thing that scares you away. Yeah. So going through, uh, like, in uh, one of these other scenarios, so you, you've got here um, somebody building a mobile salon. So um, we always like to say that that with our ideas, some of them have a long runway and some have a very short runway. And the mobile salon is a very short runway because it's easily done and they have targeted a really niche market. So the young lady that's working on this um, has identified that a lot of nursing homes are having problems getting their um, residents the care that they need. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of this cosmetic care can actually be preventative medicine, especially when it comes to like nails and skin and hair. Um, by taking care of that stuff early, you can solve a lot of problems. You can keep a lot of problems from happening, especially with elderly patients. So she's got a really unique business customer segment, and that's why we're really excited about what she's doing. And she hopes to launch by the end of this year, and I think that's possible. Yeah, and that's a, an interesting one for me thinking through uh, business is there, um, in order to get a salon up and going, you've got licensing, you have permits, and you have all these things, and many of those licensing and permit programs were never thought of that somebody was going to take this and put it on the move. Um, maybe like with some of those, you have to establish and, and have your license at a specific address, but she's not going to be at a specific address. Well, it's interesting. In the last five years, there's 13 mobile salons in the state of Texas. So someone's already done the groundbreaking work. Um, there's actually one in town, I believe. It's licensed as a mobile salon, but it rarely moves. There's an Airstream trailer. Right. I think yeah. that's the same one we're talking about. Okay. But I think the unique thing about her idea is she really wants to go to these nursing homes because a lot of these patients can't leave. Yeah. And it's it's well, actually kind of sad. It's, I mean, and it's well, just not efficient for them in this way. It's funny. We've had mobile pet grooming for years, and you've even had mobile car wash, but why no one's done mobile salon yet? So also, as, as you're thinking through this and hearing us talk about entrepreneurship here, this is a, one of those use cases where you're like, man, this just makes sense. How is nobody already doing it? Or how is it not getting done at scale? And um there's a lot of things out there that are underserved if you just sit down. And one of the uh, first things you covered in the training is this ideation training. It's going through to come up and brainstorm business ideas. And um, it sounds like these came out of some of those uh, conversations there in your, your curriculum. We do spend quite a bit of time on ideation. I think it's kind of one of the most important things that we do. So we like to ideate first, and then we go into something that's called human-centered design, where we really focus on customer interviews. So all of our teams have to get over 100 customer interviews before we even sit down and start looking at their product. Because I always say, there's no point in developing a product that nobody wants to pay for. Yeah. Now, and this is uh, one as well, if you're starting something and someone will pay you for it, they're a customer. If you're giving it to them, they're a user. They're not a customer. So uh, until somebody will give you money um, or a beta tester, Make the, even make the beta tester pay you something, whether it's a dollar, whether it's $5, because as soon as somebody gives you money for something, they're going to tell you the truth. They're not just going to tell you something nice to make you feel good anymore. As soon as they've paid you for a service, the level of expectation changes completely. And it doesn't have to be $100. Even if you were selling a $100 service for a dollar, um, you're going to get the very candid feedback from the person that paid you a dollar, sometimes even more candid than the person actually paid you full price. Uh, definitely, especially if they're a family or friend. Yes. 
so you go through and so you do these customer interviews and this human-centered design, um, and that really gives you a ton of data and feedback. And then out of that leads into um, developing a value prop. Yeah, so we, uh, we're big fans of the value proposition and the business model canvas, and that's kind of the core of what we do because I think the days of 500-page business plans are gone. I just don't think uh, that's ever going to be the case anymore. Now we need rapid, rapid mobile iteration. We need business plans that can change um, the second we get more data. And so the business model canvas is is kind of, I'd say, the industry standard now, um, at least for tech and kind of up-and-coming startups. I know it's not the standard of business school yet, but I hope it will be. Yeah. So uh, for those that have never heard of the business model canvas, what is it? Yeah. So the business model canvas was uh, Alexander Osterwilder and Yves Pignor. I'm sure I pronounced that poorly. Um, and they kind of started it out, and Steve Blank kind of came in and filled in quite a bit. Um, it's basically the industry standard at the moment, and it's a uh, strategic management and lean startup template for developing new business models. Yeah, and it, it's something that you can put your whole company and all the things you kind of need onto a single piece of paper um, or onto a single wall. Like in the geekdom community here in downtown San Antonio, uh, there's a wall up on the seventh floor that has the business model canvas on the wall and whiteboard pens next to it, so you could go up and scratch out a business idea and, and you go through on that canvas who are your core suppliers who are you going to buy things from um, who is your your customer your price points your uh, it goes through and covers all the different uh, things you need to think through to determine can this be a business that can serve customers or not yeah and, and it really allows you to lay out kind of what makes your business unique and that's kind of the value proposition it's what specific value do you offer to customers and I think that's a good start and then you're able to lay out all the surrounding pieces yeah so you've gone through you've talked to folks you've got a value prop put into place now you filled out this business model canvas um, now you've got something you think might make money but how many of the folks coming into your program know what gross margin is before they start your program zero percent yeah Zero um, percent is not a good gross margin, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, so if that is your gross margin, you don't have a you don't have a business. You have a charity, um, and there's lots of companies that try to be for profit that are actually not not for profit. They're trying to make money. They're just not making a profit. And you even have some, as you hear about these big success stories, um, like Uber and some of these other companies that are in tech that have scaled quite a bit, where you may hear the term negative gross margin, and you wonder, well, like. How do they lose money on every customer they serve and then still have a business or get investors to write them more checks? If you uh, will come to learn a company, they can help explain. But that's a, not one where many folks, if you're going to build and run a business um, without outside capital, negative gross margin does not work. Yeah, it's not a, not a good foundation for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the, the short version on gross margin is you have all the actual costs to serve an individual customer so say if you're a, a restaurant this is your food cost and your labor cost for that meal you've got a bunch of other fixed costs inside of there you spent some time developing recipes you bought a bunch of equipment to run the kitchen and to fill the dining room and all the rest of that those costs aren't gross margin costs those are other costs inside the business but um, if you're spending more money making the food and paying payroll for that and and for the actual food product itself than you're selling it for on your menu you're not going to be open as a restaurant very long because you're not going to get investors to write you billions of dollars of checks like they have for Uber because the investors there believe that 
it's a marketplace and eventually the marketplace will scale to the point where they will have positive gross margin. And maybe they have them now, they're private, they don't release their financials, but I know for years they ran uh, negative gross margin, both incentivizing riders and drivers to be on the platform. Well, I mean, I think for tech firms like that that are scaling so large, it, it kind of almost has to start that way. Yeah. Um, in a, with a restaurant, uh, I, if you, I think the first two or three months, and then you'll probably be out of business. Yeah. No, your investors will not want to keep floating checks if you can't sell your food in your restaurant for more than it costs you to buy the ingredients. That is a hundred percent true. Yeah, or go across to any of these other businesses if you're if you're selling a uh, a a hair color and dye for less than it costs you to buy the actual dye, then you're no one's going to support that business either. So that's the concept of gross margin as you go through there. But I guess you guys cover the whole kind of full financial picture in this as well with businesses. Yeah. So our uh, strategy is to actually target personal finance first. So we, we want to make sure your personal finances make sense and then use that as the springboard into business finance. Cause to be honest, if, you're, if your personal finance is pretty solid, you're going to understand business financials. And what we're finding is most of our students um, and even some of our faculty uh, that are in the course, just some, some poor uh, personal financial choices. So we want to help them straighten that out before they move forward. Yeah. And then, so as, as you start to uh, grow your business, you said you, you try to get folks to focus down on a single individual niche, a, uh, narrow their focus to start with, um, but then you, you guys cover curriculum-wise customer segmentation and how you would go reach different audiences? Yeah, actually. So that's the uh, second to last week of our uh, training. We spend a lot of time on market segmentation because it's really important. We always tell them... Um, and, and this is kind of a key mistake made with the business model canvas. And someone will try to make a business model canvas to fit all customer segments. And that's impossible. So you need multiple business model canvases targeted at different customer segments. And that's kind of the way we teach it. So we're hoping for you to go to your, your kind of niche, the one you can attack the quickest, um, try, to, try to generate some revenue, and then move forward to kind of broader customer segments. Circling back to some of the other uh, ones that I see listed here on this, some of the students that came through the, the program, you've got a military-themed restaurant run by vets for vets. Yes. So uh, This th one's totally going real. <laughs> this one's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think you were there for his pitch, weren't you? Because he actually yeah. pitched at Social Innovation Hub. Uh, this young man is, got, is full of fire. And uh, if you look at his business projections, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He's pretty much found a way to derive capital um, without going, without using any of his personal capital by honoring uh, veterans and by using them as kind of the uh, the marketing and the platform to build up this restaurant. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, Hard Rock Cafe, but take that concept and go apply it for, for veterans. Uh, it's pretty exciting. We're, we're, uh, we're moving forward with him. He's actually meeting with a couple of uh, kind of would say industry leaders in the area kind of discuss how, because his program also is going to involve training of vets. It's going to involve housing of vets. It's really a comprehensive social enterprise. Yeah. Cause in, so how did he end up in, in your uh, learning company program? Uh, he called me. He, uh, he heard about our program and gave me a call. Um, he was running through some of our content and I said, what I really want to do is, is put you into this social innovation lab because that's the key of his 
his core concept is helping out veterans and doing it in a way that's sustainable financially. Yeah, because and for just some background story for everybody here, so we have uh, about 400 uh, veterans that separate from active duty here uh, in San Antonio on a monthly basis. Uh, and a bunch of them want to start companies. Um, then they're going to potentially maybe go into Alamo Colleges as they hear about this and they hear about the learning company program so they can go do that. But as they're making that transition, uh, they have – not had to go find a job for that whole time. They've been in the maybe tw- 10, 20 years. Uh, they've always been kind of told, here's your next job. Like, here's your next assignment. So going transitioning out to the uh, private sector, even though these are folks with great work ethic and uh, a uh, background of knowing how to, to shower, shave, and show up on time and uh, get the job done every day, um, they've not had to go um, deal with a lot of the things that you that folks that just live in the private sector take for granted and uh so I kind of love this concept of this military restaurant where they're going to staff it with former vets um, as they're getting out that give them that chance to get that first private sector job, which is a important transition, just like kids coming up out of high school. It's almost the same thing coming back out of the military. It's you've got to reestablish a whole new career um, and prove yourself in the private sector. Yeah, it's been a it's a real challenge here in San Antonio, especially. I have a lot of friends who are who are veterans. And then that first job coming back, I mean, Sometimes it takes them six months to a year to get it, and it kind of slows down uh, their progress and their kind of, I guess, reintegrating into civilian life. Yeah. So then looking through, you've got a, a product company as well, Fantasy Cosmetic Brushes. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a young lady that is working on uh, Disney-inspired brushes for uh, makeup, and it's targeted to 17- to 19-year-old girls. And it's a huge market. We've actually found a similar company in Australia that is, uh, I think, trying to scale up and unsuccessful at it. So there's more demand than there is supply. And so by looking at that, um, young lady's very talented. She designs everything from scratch. We're actually working on getting 3D printed models and getting some MVPs out there and hopefully trying to partner with that company in Australia because they're... uh, they're building out these gels um, that you can then hand paint. So the idea is if we can partner out, maybe we can grow quicker. You take that hemisphere, we'll take this hemisphere and, and see if we can build something out. Oh, it's uh, exciting stuff. So establishing uh, some global trade um, as well as just uh, how to get businesses up and going and off the ground. It's, uh, lots of success stories for uh, the first year of students. So lots of success for the uh, first year of the learning company. What uh, kind of vision do you have, as you said, up to 500 students and scaling this out to the the Alamo area campuses this year? Uh, So we potentially could be sitting down talking about uh, a whole list five or 10 times the size of this of success stories coming out of year two. Um, That's the hope. And what we really want to do is get faculty at the campuses certified to train and once these faculty can run these boot camps, then it becomes infinitely scalable, right? Because uh, right now we've got a team of three, so we can only cover so many sessions. But if we can train faculty on how to teach this, and then the added benefit is a lot of these faculty with their subject matter expertise can really focus on mentoring teams in that subject matter space. I mean, right now I'm kind of serving as a catch-all, but I'm not an expert at cosmetology or... Uh, construction design or um, any of these things. I'm just uh, 
kind of serving as a concierge trying to figure out and learn as quickly as I can and try to position them as well as I can. Unless it's the, the chemical compounds going into the hair dye, you could help the cosmetologist with that. That is true. My, my background in, in biochemistry and uh, polymer chemistry has been a little useful, especially with some of the powder coating and um, even surprisingly uh, with the fantasy cosmetic brushes. Yeah. Are you are you teaching courses in those areas still right now, or is this learning company 100% full-time for you at Alamo? Uh, this learning company is uh, is 150%. Um, if, I, if I knew how much time this would take, I probably would have uh, um, maybe thought a couple of times before taking it. But it's, uh, it's, it's a huge endeavor, and I really think it can build our community. So it's great stuff. So you're listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. And if you're just tuning in now, um, I'm talking entrepreneurship uh, with Hitesh Nathani from the Learning Company as part of Alamo Area Colleges here in the greater San Antonio area. Uh, this entrepreneurship ties into uh, really getting businesses started and going, uh, and that is an important thing for our economy and part of the workforce development. And we've got 100 cybersecurity companies headquartered here in San Antonio. Uh, hopefully with the uh, program at St. Phillips College and it's scaling out to there, we'll see some cybersecurity companies in this entrepreneurship program next year. So if you're listening to our program um, and you want to start a cyber company uh, and you're at Alamo College's get into this next cohort and uh, let's have some cyber companies to talk about next time uh, he's back on the program with us.